Hi, everybody. Hi, peoples. And welcome to Robcast number 26. This is the Pete Holmes experience. Oh. It is. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually know that we were going to, we might uh, have, might have called the talk show the Pete Holmes experience. Your talk show? Yeah, you consider it. I'm sure you did when you did the Rob Bell show. The Rob Bell experience? You're just kind of like, what, what do you, what's left? Yeah, this, this but I never way. considered it. Yeah, it sounds kind of fun. We you, thought about the Pete show. I didn't I keep doing the intro. It sounds great. I was in a band one time, <laughs> and the drummer um, looked. His name was Andrew Soul, and he looked like Chewbacca. And he wore names he, he had hair, and he had he wore white fishnet tank tops with a belt around. Could, like he could pull it off too. Uh-huh. And he was like a huge, like double kick drum drummer. Uh-huh. And we were trying to think of the name of the band, and we just called it the Andrew Soul Experience. That's great. Like, you're all going to be staring at the drummer the whole time anyway. <laughs> you know, when I do see live music, the drummer gets a lot of the, uh, people are all talking about the front man and look, he's walking this way. He's walking that way. Mike's in the stand. Mike's out of the stand. Look, he took a swig of, of vodka. Who cares? There's a man banging on tom-toms. Like it's so primal. Yeah. I love that stuff. I, I love like the heartbeat, like the warm up music for our show. Very, you and I talked about this on our tour. Very important to have good music. In fact, it was Science Mike in this house right here where we are that told me this. You want music before any sort of performance that syncs up, this is crazy, the yes. heartbeat of the audience. Yes. And in the Buddhist tradition, they call it the resonating interval. What? Uh, yeah. That when you, <laughs> when you chant or breathe together, which is the power of yoga, yeah. the power of communal singing, which yeah. is the power of a worship service is when everybody in the room is breathing, inhale, yeah. exhale, it's the, at the same time, something happens physiologically, which spreads, obviously, to your hearts and your minds and everything else. I think that's one of the reasons why I think music, uh, the music of any church service, I, I feel like I'm not a Mormon, and I think I could go to a, uh, I want to get that out of the way. I look like a Mormon. But if, uh, when I go to Utah, they let me in the temple. That's my old joke. Yes. I go, show me where the dragon is. I know there's something cool in here. But uh, whenever, like my dad always cries at the music in church. He's not a very re- religious or spiritual man, but it's it's there for you. It's on that physical level. A, a drum circle or like some sort of shaman banging on something near a fire, it's undeniable. You know, Preston was at a drum circle the other night. Really? And after a while, he's like, after a while, my head was like, gonna, hey, Preston. Oh, by the way. Welcome to the Robcast. <laughs> Pete Holmes is my guest. It's 4th of July weekend. We've just been out in the ocean and we've been talking and we just turned a microphone on. That's so right. if the sound quality is lacking, get over it. It's a bootleg. That's what we said. It's a Clearly bootleg. I'm interviewing Pete here. <laughs> but I just said this to you. I was like, you don't have to ask me questions. I'll, we'll just, I'll just offer things and you can offer things. And I was going to say to put you at ease before it sounds cocky. Now that because I wasn't at ease. I know, right? <laughs> you seem very tense. But whenever I have That's a joke, pod, <laughs> podcast hosts on my podcast, I always relax because it's like a day off. It's the same thing. When Conan, sorry to be so name droppy, but when Conan, I mean, because I've mentioned my talk show twice now, when Conan was on my show, it was a day off. I think that's the best compliment. Yes. I talked to Conan about it and I was like, how is Martin Short? Like, I'll look at his calendar. I'll be like, how is Martin Short? He's like, it was a day off, which is the best. Because these people that come in and come to play, like, again, name droppy city, but Jimmy Kimmel just did my podcast, day off. These guys, these hosts, they know. They have the, it's almost like they're living in the space of avoid dead air. They're living that kind of life. They're keeping the ball moving, the plate yeah. spinning. So hopefully we can do that. 
So we're around the ocean. Now we're here. Oh, one thing quickly. Um, this podcast comes out Monday, July 6th, which also is the first day of the Everything is Spiritual Tour. I'll be hey. in San Diego, then Phoenix, then Tulsa, then Austin, Dallas, Houston, and the rest of the country. Would love to see you there. Pete Holmes actually came. I Pete, saw Pete it. Holmes is right in front of me. This Pete Holmes. Yeah, this one. Came. I saw I sat in the second row. I loved it. It was unbelievable. Valerie, who's here. Where is Valerie? Yeah. They they went to uh, take Violet to the dog. Oh, she did go? Yeah. Oh. I she kind of wanted to listen in. That's okay. They'll be back in no time. <laughs> she uh, she said the best compliment. She was like, I, I wish I could see it every morning that I would live my life fully. Oh, that's Isn't that so funny? Great. This is something you and I really trip out on, is that there are words. This is part of the show that we did, and I said this every night, but you've heard me say it many times. There are words that can shift your consciousness. Yes. I think that's yeah. so amazing. Yeah. Then they're right. And they don't, have, they don't have to be long-winded. They don't have to be complicated. And I know we're kind of getting into the deeper part right here at the top uh, without any like kind of how's your father. But, uh, you know, I, I, I love that you put together a series of those words. So go see this Everything is Spiritual tour. It's unbelievable. There's, <laughs> we're, we're still, here's a couple things that our culture and my generation specifically, I think, are, are starving for. We're starving for some sort of uh, assemblage, going back to- Like a gathering of like people? a gathering. You said assemblage. Aslem- assemblage. <laughs> I feel like back in the 60s, you couldn't walk like two blocks without being a part of some sort of protest or some yeah, sort of gathering. Accosted by an assemblage. Yeah. You, you just like, you take a nap in the park and you'd wake up and there was a happening and there was Jack Kerouac and somebody's, a drum circle would break up. You know what I mean? And I feel like we're starving for that. This show, everything is spiritual doesn't necessarily touch on this, but we love, we're craving ritual, I think. We're yeah. really missing some sort of ritual. Yeah. Well, the number of people who they haven't been to a gathering that was overtly spiritual. That's right. And they're like, oh, wow, this is... Because... Just to create a space to, to reflect on the divine, the spiritual, that which can't be accessed with your five senses. That's right. Just that alone. But here's the great thing about this show. I always watch you with, with a, a degree of, of two lenses. I'm watching you as my friend, and you can do no wrong. And then I'm also trying to watch you as somebody else that would come and see the show. I'm like, you know, as a protective person towards someone I love, I'm like, I don't want him to do anything yeah, that will yeah. ostracize or, yeah. or come off the wrong way. I, I know you'd never do that intentionally. But this is that thing where you're preaching, not even preaching, you're, you're teaching and sharing and connecting about what we were talking about in the water living spirit, which is something that everybody trips out on. Yeah. And everybody has maybe a different word for it. And this is you and I, our, our, one of our life's passions, certainly maybe our greatest passion, is connecting with living spirit. And, and I'm quoting Ramdas. He says, I'm no more a Hindu than I am a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim. I'm addicted to living spirit. And when you say, I don't want to spoil your show, but when you say, or, you know, that th- I, I don't want to say it. Go ahead, say it, whatever yeah. it is. I'll paraphrase Tell it. Tell me. It'll be wrong. I but can't wait to see what part it is. the thing we were talking about. It's the part where you say, here we are. We're this perfect combination of dust and dirt and bone oh, yeah. and spirit. And when people, again, I, go see the real show if you want to see how he says it properly. But you get the chills. You tear up. You applaud. Our section was applauding. LA can be a little tight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there's something... Uh, about stirring up that stagnant stew. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kristen just uncovered the curry and, and was like, oh, I need some more water. There's something that's happening in that show that is waking people up. And it's, and it's right there. I think that's so crazy. And then it takes spe- uh, special people like you that are like, here's the thing. Let's all get together. If I may, you have this, you have this fearlessness 
this, it's almost guileless. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's not, comedians are very self-aware. We can be pretty self-critical. I, I've tried to free myself from these shackles, but you have this like, let's just do it. Get the people there. And I'm going to share this thing. Like whenever you're reading a book, Val and I will come over and you'll be like, I just read this book about the ocean. Did you know that ostriches can swim underwater for 45 minutes? And when they do their octopuses, octopuses are ostriches. And, and you'll recite it. And then you do these shows that are just such gifts and a mitzvah and this wonderful, uh, it's not a regurgitation, it's a re-experiencing that you invite us to share. And so go see Everything is Spiritual. Yeah. Everything, everything is still spiritual. It's still spiritual. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that, by the way. That was very kind of you. You're welcome. I'm feeling chatty. I'm sorry to talk so much. Um, going back to words, <laughs> Abraham Heschel wrote that words create new worlds. Yes. And that there is this thing that happens when somebody says something, and it creates a whole new reality that you didn't even know existed. Yeah. And that when, of course, the ancient Hebrews are looking to try and explain how this thing is the way it is, it's interesting that God spoke becomes the way that they do that. It's yeah. like the most poetic well, of course. That's, right. We know at a very intimate level how words do that. So right. the whole thing is sort of a spoken something. I was just thinking in the water today, and you were ahead of me, and I'm paddling, so I couldn't say it to you in that moment. I'll, whatever. I was just going to – I had a pop-up. My therapist calls those pop-ups where I'm like, I don't want to hurt your feelings. We were together most of the time. Who gives a shit? So we were together, <laughs> but I couldn't say it to you, which is I'm like, God for me and creativity and that feeling of flow and, and creating – evolving like your like your tour is about pushing forward growing and expanding consciousness evolving i know i already said evolving even language itself is uh is is creation meaning you think yeah you think i'm gonna say you think and then you say you think so i'm creating a sound every moment every movement as simple as it is is this act of creation. So it's a wonderful thing to participate yeah. in. And you know, the ancient mystics said that the farthest distance between in the world is between two minds. Ah. Because I don't know what you're thinking, you don't know what I'm thinking. And that's like a relationship is just, I don't understand how you, yeah. how are you seeing that way? And that the way that you connect the two distant places in the universe is through words. You yeah. speak it and I speak it. Yeah. So if you want to, connect those two things that are apart you speak and a word which is why the first christians were always talking about jesus as the word and flesh that's fun is it's all the but power said, of a word to connect i think there's something even uh, not even cooler but as cool as that going on is that my inability to fully articulate what's happening inside of me is a perfect parallel to my inability to articulate what i believe to be living spirit you know yes, what i'm saying yeah, so yeah. when i'm trying to take the transcendent into our stupid reality <laughs> As I was saying to you, everybody's so obsessed with yanking God into our dumb three dimensions. You know what I mean? And being like, here's my shampoo and here's my Christ. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> One of the reasons why that makes so much sense to me is because I also have an inability to completely articulate to you or to anybody, right. no matter how well they know me, what it's like in every microsecond to be me. Because, which me, as Buddha would say. Which me, as I say all the time. Horny Pete, Hungry Pete, Angry Pete, Driving Pete, Spiritual Pete, Zen Pete, Furious Pete. There's so many Petes. You deprive me of a little sleep. All this goes out the window. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you meet me in a different moment. Yeah. And I might be like, look at this. We're crushing it. Yeah. Or I think I'm going to sit down now. I'm a little de depressed. Yeah, that's right. It's been a difficult day. That's right. The same guy. Yeah. As old Deepak says... Which you, baby you? He goes to baby you, which I think is so funny. Yeah. He's like, 
No, no, we identify with our personalities so much, which I just think is manure. There's really such a beautiful yeah. liberation in separating. Okay, so I'm reading The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. It's a wonderful book from the 60s. And he talks about you don't necessarily need to change the content of your mind, and these are 60s terms, to raise your vibration. Meaning, I'm in the car, I'm listening to a, a kirtan, which is chanting, kirtan, chanting. It's like Hare Krishna, that's, that sort of stuff. Just to kind of, you know, it's repetitive, it's nice, it puts you in a nice space. Somebody cuts me off and I literally go like, fuck you, bitch. You know what I mean? Just like the worst, something hateful. <laughs> in like a half millisecond. Right there. From there to there. Okay. So what do you do? Do you, uh, you, you have a bunch of choices, a bunch of pop-ups, a menu comes up. You just betrayed the creed the, the, the energy, the vibration that you were trying to live in. And I yelled at my neighbor, who deep in my soul I believe I am connected to, but she cut me off in a moment that I would also do. You can intellectualize this and be like, I've cut people off. Yeah. Am I a bitch? But like in that cheap moment, my animal takes over and I flare up and I have anger. And this is something we talk about all the time. You have to go, I love my anger. I love my anger. I love my anger. Observe it. Observe Without it. Without judgment. Don't identify with it. This is a big big every mystic teaches it but it's a big passion of mine is mm -hmm. you got to you have to go that's not really me it's as joseph campbell says identify with the light not the bulb the bulb gets mad the bulb gets frightened it gets flared up and there's this inner stillness that's just observing it it's it's like a joke it's like a tv show look pete got mad who cares but i spent so much of my life going oh i'm a fraud I have sinned. I am a sinner. I'm separate from Christ. I'm separate from the divine because I've, I've, I've stepped in it. Been human. Yeah, because I was human. <laughs> Meanwhile, as you and I know, dark matter and all this stuff, my yelling, fuck, whatever, you got it, at the woman who cut me off only makes me more relatable, only builds a bridge. I'm not saying we need to, oh, sin more that grace might increase. I'm saying we need to like own that not identify with it, but observe it. Because next time, it's not relatable for me to talk to a friend and be like, oh, I never have road rage. I, I listen to my kirtan and I drive in serenity. It's not really helpful. All right, I, I am now, it distances us. Yeah, when, the whole notion of sin, as we've talked about, is one of my biggest problems. That's why Love Wins, I can't say it enough, was, was, was uh, a lift, I, it's like the lead jacket they give you at the dentist's. Mm -hmm. So they don't x-ray your guts. It was like taking that off. It's gorgeous. We're such a... Why was that? Why? Because removing the idea of it's a piety game. Oh, uh, yeah. Scorekeeping. Scorekeeping. Joseph Campbell has talked about all these other uh, faiths. Not all these other. It's not like they're all wonderful and Christianity sucks. It's not that. But we did westernize it a little bit. Certainly. Absolutely. And we turned it into ethics. Because we are the culture of reason and we're the culture of rationality. And we go right, wrong, winner, loser, heaven, hell, saint, sinner. And it's all the same. It's all the same. As I told you, I wrote in my book, I was like, I've had wonderful, profound, gorgeous. I'm talking about, I'm spiritually bragging right now, transcendent <laughs> moments. Still air, feet on the ground, tongue in the mouth, hair on the head looking at color and light and majesty and your breath just naturally slows. You know what I mean? What, the, the kind of stuff they tell you to do in yoga, they're like, breathe deep, like do ujjayi. And you just notice you've been doing it because you're walking around like an alien visiting this planet instead of taking it as an assumption. What was I doing three minutes before that? Masturbating. Relax. 
you're, you're, you're not that. Which was I? Was I the saint walking around, mm-hmm. feeling the Christ? Or was I the guy jerking it? How about neither? How about it's a ride? Both. How about it's both? Yeah. It's both neither. It's and, it's and, it's and neither. It's both nor. It's, <laughs> it's like your futile attempt to carve out an identity with, with sand that's moving in a current. You know what I mean? You're trying to make a, a sandcastle underwater and just let it go. You're not going to do it. Let the sand swirl. I, and again, I think one of the reasons why people don't talk this way is because our stupid rational minds go to the extreme. You go, oh, so should we go around murdering? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Go, you fucking dope. That's not what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think you understand, but that's the fear. I think that's why people don't want to uh, teach or discuss uh, self-love. If you say love yourself, you go, well, what if I'm a child molester? Okay, fine, but let's start small. Let's start with the road rage. Yeah. We'll get to the... Well, what's in, I've noticed this whenever I do... The, so many times when persons asks, what if? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why, how did what we are talking about here become a hypothetical? Right. Because I don't... Or they'll say like, well, we, we don't do that because that might lead to. Right. But if, if that is the fundamental way you order your life, but that might lead to... Nothing would ever happen. We should invent money. No, that might lead to greed. Okay, no money. We should invent food. No, people might get addicted to food or might become, okay, that thinking is just fear. You shouldn't build a house. Well, that's a private place to rape someone. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Between two houses is an alley where crime happens. You You understand? Sure. Relax. It's the same thing we were talking about. Rob and I like to laugh about, I, I sometimes on my podcasts drop what I think are profound truths to some comedians and it often, <laughs> it often doesn't work. And that's very valuable to me because I, I do have a passion for sharing some of these uh, strategies or teachings or whatever you want to call them. But like it, it all goes down to that what if hypothetical sort of thing. As you know, big thing of mine, I didn't make it up. It's a Zen teaching, which is what, what in this moment is lacking, which to answer it, you have to first put yourself in the moment. A lot of people just answer it. What in this moment is lacking? Like, if, like I could play that game and be like, well, I'm a little tired. We've been swimming. We've been swimming and, and paddling. And I'm a little beat. Like right now, you need to sleep right now. <laughs> like you're about to fall asleep. Yeah. You appear right wide now. awake. Yeah, I, I, I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing through for the, for the Rob camp. <laughs> Thank you. This is, this, is, this, is not a, this is not a small thing. Uh, but the, I need to pay my rent right now. Like, like what in, the, the teaching is to show you that you're projecting scenarios. Your fear is the future, your anxiety is the future, your regret is the past, your dread is the past. And when you put yourself in the moment, you really can very much, I don't want to get into all this necessarily, but realizing you're in a dream, suddenly the world, you can go in any direction. Yeah. You realize it's blue sky. A lot of people are trapped in these prisons of their own mind. I, I, a lot of people in my family are trapped in prisons of their own mind. And an exercise that I, I, I recommend, I really think is helpful, is imagine yourself floating in the sky with clouds in every direction. If you close your eyes, you think you have to imagine in front of you, but you're not seeing with your eyes when you're imagining. You're seeing with your mind. So you can really put the clouds behind you as well, which right there is enough to trip out. Yeah. When you're dreaming, by the way, you can also see in 360 degrees because you're not seeing with your eyes. Yes. How dare you be bored? How dare you be bored? How dare you be bored? There's always another thing. You didn't know that. 
Look at I don't, I don't mean you. I'm just saying for those that didn't know that, that you can look at. So that sort of feeling of being backed in a corner is often something. It's a man-made prison. Yeah. And I understand there are hardships. And again, this is where we run into what ifs. Well, what if I have uh, four kids and, and this husband and he's on disability or whatever it is? I understand. But for the people that I can plant that in, plant away. The um, What really changed, going back to what you're talking about, true self. When I came to understand that when I had an experience, awkward, difficult, painful, heartbreaking, that I could stand in observance of the experience. Yeah. And I could get out a piece of paper and pen and I could write detailed observations about what that heartbreak, pain, confusion, loss, joy, whatever it was. And then I could just ask the question, who's observing? Yeah. And that that I have a true self right. that transcends whatever particular temporal experience right. I'm going through. Right. And that this true self is indestructible. That's right. It's ineffable. Right. It is infinite. It's a piece of infinity. It's as wide as the universe. A piece of infinity is watching you. It's lose. somehow crammed into this collection of bone and skin and dust. Right. And that the people that you most admire who, who come through suffering better are the ones who long time ago realized you have this true self. MLK. And it soars. That's it's right. got wings. It's bigger and wider. It's an ocean of, contains an ocean of compassion. That's right. And how many times people are like, they are their anger. No, no, no. You're feeling angry. It's a feeling. Right. You're depressed. That's a thought and a feeling. As, as Ramdas says, there is depression. Yeah. And he goes, who oh boy, I don't know if people survive depression like that. It's it's like a joke you make to yourself. You look at it and you're like, "This is a big, right. This is a big one." And, I, and again, look at what you're going through right now. Wow. Right. And again, this is a practice. That doesn't. Uh, I don't think I need to say this, but that's not to say that I don't get swept off my feet sure. in, in emotion and, and fear and loss and sadness or whatever it is. But there is, and we were talking about this ocean thoughts too. A theory, uh, a, a, a technique rather for soul consciousness is to say good episode. And that, and that's, yes, I love say say this because I've been saying this a ton to people recently. Is that right? Yeah, it's the idea that when we watch a drama like Mad Men, which is what my favorite show, or any show, uh, really, our favorite episodes are the ones where something uh, inconvenient or not to plan happens. Yeah, and the bleaker it gets, the, the bigger bigger a hole there, and the more we're like, whoa, how are they going to get out of this? The better. Yeah, yeah, we're on the edge of our seat. How is this going to resolve? We love a breakup. We love someone losing their job. We love whatever it is. I, I know the, it's hard to talk about this because we're trying to speak as souls, which is difficult because we're also talking like egos right now. Yeah. The ego is, is protesting even as I say this. But the soul, the fantasy of the soul, soul consciousness, is to observe your life as a dance. This is millions. More people do this than do what we do. <laughs> yes. More people watch their yes. lives and don't identify with it than do. We're over here going, I'm special. By I'm we're like Western, yeah. smart, modern people. These be us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I don't even think that's a great group. <laughs> you know I, no, I mean? no, that's why I'm saying it. I was saying it like sort of <laughs> oh, I joking. But he cut to all these other people. So Don Draper uh, loses his job. He gets fired from Sterling Cooper. Let's say that happened. And, and then the, ep and the credits come up and the Bob Dylan song plays. And you're like, holy, holy cow, that was a great episode. Similarly, you can try and look at your own life in that way, in loss, in pain, in discomfort. Even if, you know, to make it a little more palatable, it's a long bus ride and the guy next to you fell asleep and he's snoring and it stinks. 
and and the TVs are broken, so they're only playing a three-second clip of the same ShamWow infomercial over and over, and the volume's blaring, and the AC's out, and the driver's been drinking. I understand in that situation you should probably get out, but <laughs> because of the drinking. But if you are safe and you have to be on that bus, the path of not resisting, the path of, of not identifying with your body in that moment, it can really help. There's a practical application to this. It's the idea of not postponing your happiness till you're off that bus. It's the idea of just observing this is mm-hmm. this is your karma, this is your life's path, this is what you're supposed this is exactly where you're supposed to be right now. When we were carrying the boards up, I was just trying to be like, don't don't postpone your happiness till you put the board down. This board's heavy. <laughs> this board's heavy. My arms are shaking a little bit. <laughs> as as Deepak says, every step of the journey is in the step you're taking right now. It's like it that is the only step. Mm-hmm. So it's free and it worked. It made it. It relieved my weariness. So this isn't just conjecture. It's actually something that can. So you have the good episode thing. The second part of the good episode is actually, I think, when we're watching TV, we're enacting a fantasy of soul consciousness, which is we're watching someone go through something. Don Draper loses his job, and we acknowledge ourselves as the impartial witness. We're involved. We're compassionate. We're invested, but we know that that's not us even though we're projecting our feelings onto that character, even though we care about Don Draper, I know I'm not Don Draper. So that is a way to look at the fantasy of the soul inside and a part of you watching your life, not detached, not indifferent, overflowing with compassion, playing the game in it, but not of it, but still kicking ass. You know what I mean? Play the hell out of it. It's my karma. It's my life's path to be a comedian. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm doing that. And to be a, a divorced comedian with an overloving mother and a distant father and whatever it is, that's my thing. This is the show. This is the show. And I'm just watching. Okay. For, for, my, for Robcast listeners, I'm sure, I'm sure are all huge Pete Holmes fans. And if you aren't, <laughs> you are now. Anyway, can, we, can, I, can I go back in your story a bit? Yeah, please. If I would have met you... Because you were doing comedy 10 years ago. 15 years ago. And I would have talked to you about soul and consciousness, and this is, we're, we're just exotic cocktails of dust and bone. Yeah. Would you have been like, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> would you? What oh, were you? I would have thought that I was a, a, a heretic, and I would have thought that I was, um, I wouldn't have believed that, you know, I would have thought, oh, that guy's not strong in the word, or whatever it is. Oh, if you had met me, and I had been saying to you, if you Pete, said to me what I just said, yeah. I would go, well, that, that's not right. That's not it. <laughs> because I was in that model of we're here. Okay, we've been talk- you and I have been talking about this. I think it's one of the best conversations we've ever had. I really, it was backstage in Boston, and we were talking about um, Christ ran with the ball like a football analogy. He ran you, with, by the way, you using sports analogies is funny. I know, it's true. And they often blur. And then I'm like, and then he threw it into the net. Right. And I mean, like, I don't right. even know what I'm right, right. right. But Christ, <laughs> Christ was a, a realized being. I'm, I am, I'm saying he was the son of God. I'm also saying, uh, so, are, so are you and, and so, so am I. It just a different, uh, it gets cloudy. I don't want to say different levels. But he woke up. He realized. He saw the code. He's Neo. He gets it. Miracles are nothing. Healing is nothing. He is in Christ. He found it. Great. So then he does all these stories and parables teaching us how to wake up, 
how to see the truth, how to liberate yourself from fear, how to heal yourself, how to be... Kingdom of God is within you. It's around you. It's among you. It's yes, upon you. Yes. It's a treasure in a field. How did the kingdom of heaven got turned into the he- into heaven? I remember reading the Bible as a kid being, oh, he means heaven. He means uh, God Like, just because they had the word heaven in there. Yeah. I, was, as opposed to an entire realm that you are, all, uh, an ocean you are already swimming in. Right. And here's the guy who's saying, hey, we're in it. Your, your mind, it's here. your mind, I don't believe in the devil. I believe in the ego. And the ego is the, the liar and the thief. It robs you of the moment. It tells you you're not deserving. tells you you're not loving. It tells you you'll be happy when you have the car. It accuses you. It accuses you and it says you're not getting enough. It makes you greedy. It, when you're having sex with three people at the same time, it'll be amazing. You, then, then we'll get it. Give me the award. Give me the cash. Then we'll get it. I know a lot of rich and famous people. It's fucking horseshit. You understand? <laughs> yeah. So here's Christ and he's saying, look, this is what it's really about. And then, you know, and this might be controversial. I don't think so. But the idea is we, we spend all our energy kind of worshiping Christ. And I believe Christ, Buddha, all of it, worship these people. Send, try and merge with their message and their energy but also run with the ball. Christ handed you the ball, and all we're doing is talking about the ball, how far he brought the ball. Do you remember how fast he was? Ah, the cleats barely touched the ground. Run with the fucking ball. You, like the disciples, you will do greater things than these. Run with the ball! (laughs) You thought that was good? You thought that was good? That's right. You'll be, you thought He said it, he said it. Yeah. You will do better. Get into it. It's for here and now. And there's millions of the type of Christian that I used to be, which was, this isn't my home. I'm just passing through. All I want to do, you've set up the game. You told me I was born a sinner. You told me I need redemption or I will burn forever. I'll be in paradise forever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to make sure I confess and repent and, 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 and as clean as I can be, living as clean as I can, not to raise my vibration, not to feel God now, not to experience God now, not to help my fellow man now and see my bliss and see my calling now, but that I might receive some reward later. And that's the part of Love Wins that blew my dick off because I couldn't believe the balls you had, sincerely comedian level balls, to say, well, the age of accountability is 12. Isn't it more uh, merciful than to murder children? And the answer, of course, is yes, if that's our model. Yeah, And there you go. There's a big hole in your boat. I don't think it's going to go. I don't think it's going to make it across the Atlantic. Okay, so so you're raised with that sort of view. You become a comedian. Yeah. Then you and I do this tour this spring. We do like nine cities. Yep. If you would have, when you started out as a comedian, from that world, that sort of heaven, hell worldview, we're here for a little bit, then we go somewhere else. Hopefully, if you did the right things or not. Right. If you would have seen yourself, because even in the tour, I saw you owning your the urgency. You you were literally preaching at points. You you were. Well, it was a, it was an experiment. What would you at that time, if I had shown you some video of you on our tour doing what you were doing, would you have been like, "Oh my word"? I think something very deep in my bedrock would have vibrated and said, "Oh, great, yeah, good." Because it does feel like it's in my marrow. I, I've told this 
story to you before, but my mom, my whole life wanted me to be a youth pastor because I, I look like a youth pastor. I can play the guitar. I like public speaking and I'm down with, you know, I, I was certainly down with JC in that way. And, uh, I went to Gordon college and I was going to major in youth ministry and all that sort of, cause, cause you need that degree. Um, but the, so, and then, <laughs> and then I kind of found comedy and I became a comedian instead. And my mom still likes to say, and I like it when she says, she goes, I wanted him to be a pastor. He became a comedian close enough. And now that I've found something that I believe in, which is living spirit, which isn't be a, I said it every, almost every tour. I said, I don't want you to come to Christ. Meaning the Jesus, the G, I want you to be in the Christ energy. Mm-hmm. I want you to have that type of consciousness. But it was very liberating to be on stage and tell, try and tell people my truth, the way that I see it, the way that it's flowing through and in me, and say, I'm not here for you to come to Christ. There's no altar call at the end of this. I'm trying to give you something. And if you like part of it, hold on to it. If you don't, let it go. It's about personal experience. If I get it, and you don't get it, it's pretty much worthless to you. So find the way that you get it. So now, instead of getting up and, and preaching, which is what I would have been preaching, that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's wrong to be gay, that, um, that there's this merit system, you stole, so Jesus is mad at you. You didn't steal, so Jesus is proud of you. This anthropomorphizing God and putting him somewhere else. I call it the lifeguard God internet pornography tweet you're out too far you know what i mean like <laughs> if i was on on i call it stage uh, you know uh, what do you call it on the pul- pulpit on the oh in a church yeah what do you call it the stage the front <laughs> if i'm up on the yeah. yeah stage and i was preaching that and you showed me that i think part of me maybe would be disappointed because i knew this is a big point for me I don't think I actually believed what I said that I believed. Right. Specifically, a Tibetan monk falls into a crevasse and dies. A man who is meditating and seeking God in every movement. When he swept the steps, no one was there. You understand? Yeah. He falls in a crevasse and he dies because he didn't say the magical prayer. I said that I believed that. I tried to rationalize it. I said, oh, you know, they say the wages of sin is death, not eternal conscious torment so maybe he just burns up maybe he's just gone we get to go to heaven he's, he's and just it, gone and it started to break at what point it started to not work it well, never worked it ne- I, I don't believe that i believed and that's the thing that i like to say yeah. to people that are like i believe that and i'm like all due respect i don't believe you i just don't because i know that burden you should never stop trying to save people if that's what you believe and what is belief anyway you know what i'm saying we we look at belief like it's a switch Christ is in your heart? Do I say, yeah, I say yes. Switch flipped, salvation gained. Belief? It's such a weak word. I believe we have garlic powder. You know what I'm saying? I believe in aliens. I believe in Jesus. I believe in a 6,000 year earth. I believe in a 20 billion year earth, whatever it is. It's so ethereal. It's so Right, and if the same word describes all those different things. And, And your eternal soul is hinging on your rational Listen to how silly it is. Your rational mind, your dualistic brain, the same thing that goes around and walks down the street and goes, uh, he's blaring hip hop. He's probably a criminal. Uh, she's a sexy woman. She's probably a whore. That same idiot brain that goes, Coca-Cola is a fun time on the beach. That fucking idiot brain goes, I like Jesus in your brain. 
get get out of here. <laughs> I don't I don't I do not care about the contents of your mind. I don't I don't care. I, it's such a cliche, but bring get the elevator down to the heart. Bring it into the marrow. Bring it into the vibration. That's what I'm talking about. And the thing that I was going to say earlier was that Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment says it's not the content of your mind that raises your vibration because you're always going to have chatter. Chatter. Yeah, monkey mind. If you heard my monkey mind, it's cruel. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I do that. I was trying to give you an example of me. I was like safe, unsafe, whore, uh, fatty, all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, you know, when he gets the gaze on me, it's even worse. But I mean, like, uh, oh, hi, Kristen. I, what was I saying? Chatter. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Valerie. <laughs> it's the way that you, uh, how you interpret those thoughts, that chatter. If you look at it, and, and again, it goes back to self-love, you go, I love my hate. I love my pettiness. Greet it with love. As Tony Campolo says, what's the alternative? Greet it with hate? Is that, is that better? Will you feel better if you beat yourself like Equus? Do you want to whip yourself? Where will you be? You'll be a weird kid thinking he's a horse in his bed. It's a good play. <laughs> Tony Campolo's quote actually is he says, people say I'm soft on the gays. He says, what am I supposed to be, hard on them? Doesn't that just give you the chills? What am I supposed to be, hard on them? I'm crying. That's what, that's what I'm supposed, that's what you'd like me to be? You want me to punch somebody? Yeah, you know, it's interesting for, for since I became a pastor, the number of people after a sermon who come up and they have a question and how often the question is basically some form of, I have this thought or this feeling. They don't word it this way, but could you please tell me that that's other people have had that? Yeah. And the number of, the number of thousands of times looking the person in the eyes and saying, you realize this is totally normal. Yeah. They'll say, my best friend who started a business took all the money and left town and I have nothing and I had to file bankruptcy and I'm just angry. Mm -hmm. Wait, if you were angry, so I feel something's like wrong with me because I'm having trouble forgiving him. That's right. Or my dad abused me and to this day, I have a hard time having a relationship with him. <laughs> yeah. Well, Great. But yeah. the problem is, sorry. L like if you didn't have a hard time, something would be wrong. Absolutely. Like you're human. You are. This is a normal response to what you've been through. Are you the T-800? The number, <laughs> the number of people who just need to know the things swirling around in your head, yeah. the, the tape on repeat, that's very normal. Absolutely. But I think what, what one of the problems in the church that I grew up in is when you iron out all the wrinkles and you, and you get the phony baloney um, Christian phony, that even the Christians are when you did on tour when you did the hey buddy hey buddy <laughs> like you're, you're, you're in the parking lot and you go hey brother and then you pull it when you're like that fucking idiot you know what I mean like even if it's in your heart or whatever when you when you homogenize and pasteurize and, and make ethics the point then your uh, bad quote unquote thoughts don't belong in it so people start keeping it in and this is where you get hey buddy hey buddy your dad ripped you off or abused you hey buddy and he won't let it out. Yeah. And this goes back to having no bridge between it. No flaws to build your bridge on. Yeah. And then we're all alone. And then we're all going like, I think this guy's holy and this guy's holy. And I'm in the congregation looking at the cleavage of the woman leading worship. So am I. Great. 
You know what I mean? Like, relax, relax. And that's why, see, like when I say I've had transcendent experiences moments after masturbating, I'm not saying that to be like shocking. I'm saying that to be like, yeah, I get it. I've had, when I was young, so much time beating myself up for doing something like that on Easter. How could you do this on Easter? He is risen. And then you rose. <laughs> like, relax. God Has is... Has Pete done that joke? Has he, Pete done that joke before? No. That was off the dome. Oh, tell that was me. Off the dome. That one's going to make it into something. <laughs> but, you know, it's this idea of a God that doesn't understand your jokes, that doesn't also understand your life. You know yeah. what I mean? As a comedian, when I first started making little jokes about God, like I have a joke about tone deaf Jesus. Like, it's very simple. It's what if you got up to the pearly gates and Jesus is there and he's tone deaf? So he's like, and you don't know whether to mention it or not. And you're looking around at everybody that's exactly, else. That's like, exactly what do you say it? Has anybody told him? But do you, you're going to tell the king of kings he right. can't carry a tune? Right. That's the joke. He Fair loves enough. this verse. <laughs> Look at how happy he is. When he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting uh, on a wrist. He he's an awesome singer. <laughs> so he's throwing his head back. Like, that's a very mild joke. Those are the types of jokes I typically do about God. I'm not really having anything harsh. What am I supposed to be harsh? But the the elevation or, or expansion or whatever you want to call it, where I realize that God, whatever you want to call it, is big enough to understand that I'm kidding. He made me. Yes. He made my mind. He made my sense of humor. That sort of expan- uh, expansion bleeds into other areas, like the one we were just discussing. God understands your predicament. God understands that 16 year old Pete was pulsing with hormones. And, and wanted, it doesn't matter, and felt terrible. I don't think he was up there going like, at least he felt bad about it. Good. Look at how bad he feels about it. Great. <laughs> By the way, in my first book, I tell this story about starting a church when we were 28 and how it got very, very big. And then I found myself in a storage closet one Sunday morning and I had my car keys in my pocket. And I was like trying to figure out how far away I could be by the start of the next service, because I just didn't want to be there. Oh, wow. I was just burned out, exhausted. I, was, I never had picked up any tools of how you deal with. Yeah. I didn't have any boundaries. I didn't understand how to have a rhythm of life or anything. Right. So it's interesting that book, as I tell about how we started this church, and I even use the numbers, because that's part of my point, that the church had grown to like 10,000 people in a couple of years, which is sort of crazy. Yeah. And then I ended up in this storage closet one Sunday morning going, and what's fascinating to me is how many people go, Whenever they mention that book, how many people tell me how moving that chapter was? Yeah. And it's not the successful right. big stuff. Yeah. It's we, we are more moved by everything falling apart for someone than someone who's like, and then I won, and then I dominated, right. and then I crushed everybody, then I won some more. You know the gospel about how Jesus evaded the Romans, right? <laughs> how he successfully went on the lamb right. like Jason Bourne. Right, forever. They could just couldn't catch him. <laughs> exactly. And he, he's still kicking it some way. I mean, he's fine. I mean, that's exactly it. But the part of what we talk about when we talk about God that I love, that I reference all the time, is you saying that you had to preach on an Easter Sunday and you, you weren't believing it. Oh, I'd never forget that. That, but that is, that's nails in the hand. I'm right driving there, in on a Sunday morning and the roads are empty because it's early and I'm thinking... It's two thousand whatever it was, two thousand four, two thousand five, and my job 
is to convince or announce that a guy was alive and then he died, then he was alive again, and that somehow has something to do with you. Like there's a sort of this literalism yep. around the edges that I that was just I just was like what yeah what well it's I'm glad you brought that up because whenever we talked and when I did your two day we didn't really get into this uh, but the idea of, of of literalism talking about going back to what I was saying was like I don't really care about the contents of your mind or what you believe in your mind and, and uh, being a yeah. quality of the heart when we start looking at at the importance of the story being that Christ, I remember this, uh, a teacher of mine at Jerusalem University College where I went to study hell. During college? college? I, I went, I, my, my semester abroad was in Israel. I went to Jerusalem University College, the smallest thing, it's not a university, smallest thing in the world. Uh, and I went because I was wrestling with the concept of hell. This is where I learned about annihilationism. I asked all the Jews what they thought about hell. It only lasted about three weeks. I was there for five months. Three weeks in, I was like, ah, nobody knows. Yes. No, I, I haven't heard anything that I like. Um, but the idea, I, my, one of my teachers was like, sinless life, virgin birth, sinless life, physical death and resurrection, everything else is debatable. He didn't emphasize else, I did. He was like, those are the only things that we can't touch. And I was like, so weird. That's a really weird thing. You're looking, I, I would love to know where that guy is. He was a young man. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's kind of changed. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he's expanded in some way. Expanding, by the way, doesn't mean better. I'm just saying I, I, he seemed like the kind of guy that might figure something out because his mind, I could see his mind wrestling with it. But when I got introduced to Joseph Campbell, which I can't tell enough people about, when you introduce the idea, as Richard Rohr told me on my podcast, because of you, uh, you set it up, I mean, he said, metaphor is the only language we have to speak of God. And... When you bring in metaphor, and by the way, Joe, Joey Kim's really cleared it up for me, and I'm not... <laughs> I laugh every time you say Joey Kim's. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit that I sometimes need the example. The man ran like a deer is an analogy. The man was a deer is a metaphor. So you start to get it, 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 it feels more like a lie. You know what I mean? It's like, that's a lie. He wasn't a deer. Shut up, I'm telling a story. I'm trying to get through your brain, down the elevator, and into your heart. So just sit down by the fire and listen to your grandfather. <laughs> so when you bring in the expanding, uh, relaxing flow, the, almost the vitamin of myth, metaphor, and non-duality, trans-rationality, then, Rob, I know you know this, the Rob that's driving to church being like, I don't know if I want to share the good news of a, of a physical death and resurrection, because that's not the point. As Alexander Shia said on my podcast, he did yours and then he did mine. He he, it means more to him that he believes that they're in a physical Christ that was physically killed, physically resurrected. That's fine, but even that he doesn't hold on to too tightly because it's not the point. The point is the spirit. The point is you hearing the message. It's it's yeah. not in this stupid reality. And that's what happened to me is when I came back around. Through Joseph and Campbell, others, to resurrection. And then I came back to a wondrous, mysterious, miraculous universe we're living in where all sorts of unexpected things happen. Yeah. And the, the profound power and truths that are in this story that you can actually live in yourself. Oh, 
Man, oh man. Now, uh, for those of you listening, Joseph Campbell, uh, if you haven't familiar with his work, professor at Sarah Lawrence. Sarah Lawrence. And basically opened up a whole generation's minds to the idea that we as human beings, correct me if I'm wrong, or add your own version here, we as human beings have been trying to name ultimate reality for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And that when you're naming ultimate reality and the deepest forces that human beings experience, literal language will generally fail you. So we have been using stories, we have been using metaphors, we've been using images to try and get at As you our deepest experiences of life. And you say this wonderfully in your book about transrationality, which is what we talk about, which is sometimes you don't need an explanation, you need a poem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't... Well said. Good job. When you talk, yeah. <laughs> when you say why you love Kristen, you don't talk about her height. This is... This, what yes. you're saying when you say that, you say she's my other half. You, you're, you're, you, you, you really beautifully, so much so that I would love to rip you off in, in my own word, is, is, is giving us an example of transrational thinking. Yes. She's not literally your other half. And we need this. So it's very threatening. It's almost crisis-inducing to a young fundamentalist, like I was, to be introduced to the idea, just let's just consider this. Let's just do a thought experiment. What college used to be before it was all certainty and facts? Let's do a thought experiment. Christ is a metaphor. He's the son of God. He's your highest self. And he was a man, and he died, and he rose again. He is asking you in the story, he died and rose again, He's asking you to die to your humanity and rise to your divinity. He's asking you to go through pain, which changes and transforms. It will always be a death go to rebirth. Yes. He's showing you the path. The path. He's showing you the light. The way. The way. He's showing you the death. This is how the universe works at its deepest depths. Yes. You think you're the king of kings. You found your friends. Guess what? These people sell you out. These people kill you. Rise, motherfucker. Rise. It's like a new liturgy. (laughs) (laughs) So breathing in the air of metaphor isn't robbing you of your appreciation of Christ or the story. To me, it's turning a a photograph of a room into a room you can live in, into an actual place. You're walking through the mirror. You're Mickey Mouse going through the mirror and you found the, the real world. There's a parallel world on the other side. And, and it gives it life and it gives it breath. And the, this is a Semitic text. It's a Semitic tradition. They're not interested. I, you know, I'm trying to write a book because you encourage me and it's wonderful. And I was like, when I was a kid, I used to be like, oh, it would have been great if there were reporters with tape recorders and photographers and videographers when Christ was alive. Why? And ruin it? <laughs> That's what I wrote. Why, comma, and ruin it? You dumb shit. Keep your pert plus in your precious reality. Keep your scooter, keep your car keys. Let the transcendent be where it belongs. Transcendent. Over there. Can't be touched by intellect language. It can be felt. It can be communed with. It can light you up. It can guide you. It can save and heal whatever you need. Yes. But don't try and... Print it out. It's like, this is an analogy somebody, my old computer graphics professor used to use about printing things out, but I like to use it for the transcendent. It's like finding a beautiful wet rock in the ocean. By the time you walk it back to your beach blanket where your stupid brain is, it's just a regular rock. It's just dried up. 
plain. It was so shimmering and beautiful when you found it, it gets ruined in the process. As Science Mike says, we have these peak experiences, these God experiences, and then by the time you send them to your language center in your brain, they're gone. I can't, I can tell you, this is Valerie, my girlfriend, I can tell you about being in Big Bear and the first time I wanted to tell her I loved her, looking up at the stars and you could see the Milky Way and you could hear the, the lake kind of lapping up and she's sitting on my lap and we're both in robes and it was gorgeous. But that's not even close. That's not even close. Look at her smile. <laughs> it's not even yeah, close. Right. I was there right. in, in four dimensions. I was yeah. there. Five, six, seven, eight, nine dimensions. They were all. However many there are. We were in the center of the universe and, and we, we saw the code and it was gorgeous. And, and, and I can give myself chills thinking about it. But really, you know, it, that's when I would need a metaphor. I would have to say we felt as big as statues. You know what I mean? Like yes. the world looked like a train set. Yes. And yes. I love felt People, like, Oh, the sky was so big. You could like reach out and touch the stars. There you, go. you couldn't actually reach out and touch the stars. And yeah, that's the only way that you can get at what it made you feel. And, and in, you know, this is what I think our, our science boner society is missing is, is I understand we were talking about, you've lost your, what is this? Cause the thing that I like to say on the tour that you turned into that beautiful phrase is I like to say, what is this? What is this? And everybody goes around squashing your generalized wonder with facts. When I say, what is color? And you tell me that it's a vibration of light. I'm like, thank you very much. What is this? You know what I mean? Like you're missing your childlike. The answer just takes you another click down into the mystery. Great. Sub, 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 sub. 13 levels of right, subatomic right, particles. Right, right. Great. What is it? What is it? I don't care. I don't, I, I, listen, I am a beneficiary of science. I feel like we have to give that disclaimer. I have an iPhone. I can't get anywhere without my GPS. I am dependent. I'm sucking on the robotic teeth. I love it. It heals my disease. It gives me penicillin. Thank you. Deep respect for the great minds of our world. But like when we go from I can cure uh, your measles or I can, you know, give you a, what is it? Uh, the thing you give your children? I'm blanking on the word. A vaccine? Uh, I can give you a vaccine and you won't get that, uh, the measles. You're welcome. Um, that's great, but I still never want to stop tripping out on the basic fundamental question of what is this? Tell them what you were saying about people that hate on you going like, but we have the word of God. Does that remember? Oh, oh, how often, how often assumptions are a neat and tidy way to avoid the, the wonder and awe of your own existence. Yeah. It's like, but we have, but we know that God, what do you know? Yeah. I don't know anything. Right. You were told a bunch of stuff. Right. What we do have is this life, even with the Bible. The Bible is extraordinary because it's this progressive library of books of people having their minds blown. Right. People experiencing that which can't be named. Right. And trying to give it language. Right. It's a very progressive, dangerous book. And the fact that you're like, yes, but we have the word of God. But the thing that you have that you're so sure of is actually like a ticking bomb. Right. Like if you actually read these stories about loss, lust, exile, what does it mean when you're miles from home and every single thing about your tribe is gone? Right. Who are you? What does it mean to have continuity of people before you? What does it mean to bless people who mm. have persecuted and tormented you? These are the, the deep questions of human suffering and existence. Yep. What do you do when you have joy 
but you're in the midst of great suffering and yet the joy is even bigger. There's something that seems to be even enveloping and swallowing up your most degradating, humiliating experiences. Yeah. What is that? How do yeah. you name that? Yeah. Now that's interesting. That is. And how did we turn that into, but we have the answer, you've fallen away. You know what I mean? Like you're, Right. Your answer, you've, the answer is a giant lump in the throat, hair on the back of your neck staying on end. That's right. You, Personal experience. This is something that Terrence McKenna, the very, very kooky, and I mean that in a compliment, he was a psychonaut. I mean, he, he did a lot of psychedelics. But he talked about, no. the thing that I love, I could summarize his message is, no one knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And he says, anything that people tell you is rumor, probably lies, trust yourself. <laughs> he goes, trust yourself. And the psychedelics are the way to have a, a religious experience. It's almost a guaranteed way to have a religious experience. I think they're lacking in some ceremony and some meditative preparation. I'm not saying these are recreational drugs, but they can be a way to hack into a, into a soul experience. But he says something brilliant, which is what you said, when you lose your clan, who are you? He says, the Bible stories about that, he goes, let the illusion of culture fade away. Mm. Set it aside. Stop taking everything as an assumption. Of course we move and we eat and we, we poop and we sleep and we have sex and we go to jobs. Let it go, free, free yourself. Free yourself. The moments where I've been free, like I like to say on stage, I go, I'm not enlightened. I dip in and out. I dip in and out. Oh, and you said that on tour. I'm like you. I dip in and out. Just like you. (laughs) But the moments that I've dipped in, I go, this is it. I'm not thinking about later. I'm not thinking about before. You're right there. And it's that blue sky exercise I said before. Any direction. It's there's no fear. It's, it, it's just a, a, a blissed out, wonderful state. You know, this is something, uh, when, I was a, when I was a pastor in Michigan, the, this big institution developed with like staff and payroll and offerings and, and what people kept, everybody want, we want, we need leadership, we need vision, we need strategy, we need to know where we're going. This was the question that came up Again and again, where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? And at first, I was like, oh, I guess, I guess that's my job. But I wasn't very good at it. So I was like, so we need to get someone else here who can say, like, this is where we're going. And after a while, I realized, no, we, we get to do this. Yeah. I have no idea where we're going. We're right here right now. That's right. I realize now, looking back on it, that's when I first began to realize that the whole thing is a lie. Because the whole thing is built around... If you do this stuff, then it's going to be awesome. Yep. It's all, every, everything around you. And every advertising is, if you just had this, then your life. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking lately about, well, and the tour, I talked about the Super Bowl thing, where when tribes gathered to, like Joseph Campbell, when tribes would gather around the fire for their stories, when's the one time our culture gathers more than ever is the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. We gather, instead of a real fire, it's a corner, a box in the corner. And right. what is the story that we are told? Consume. You are here to consume. You are here to obtain inanimate objects. No wonder everybody's bored. All the the myths from earlier, the stories from the glue, the stories were all interrelated, connected, animate objects. Mm -hmm. And now it's just tell your stuff. Mm -hmm. But I realized that's when it first started to happen for me was everybody keeps saying, where are we going? Where are we going? But this is the thing right here. We've turned it into an answer. 
I know that sounds kind of like a cliche. It's not a book of answers. It's a book of questions. But it's our minds love doing this. This is, again, why I want to disparage the mind. This is why <laughs> racism is so comforting to people. Mm -hmm. I, I hate... <laughs> that's a pop-up. I want to be clear that everyone knows that I hate and do not endorse racism. But why do people keep doing it? Because your mind likes to do that. 1692. The familiar, the that's, comfortable. That's a witch, and I'm not a witch. Let's burn the witch. We didn't burn witches in this country. We hanged them. Uh, but the idea that that's a black person and he probably is this, this, and this. Talking, let's talk about mild racism. That's an Asian person. He probably uh, went to MIT and he plays the violin and he's good at math. And he, uh, his wife is probably Asian and they have an adorable Asian baby. Well, um, thinking about the presidential campaign right now. Yeah. More so with the Republicans right now because there's more of them. But you can see each of the candidates letting everybody know those are the bad guys. That's right. And I'll protect you. That's right. Already you can see the identifying of like... That's what your mind does. Our brains, they do these tests. We add narratives to things because we used to be chased by lions. Okay? So that's what our minds like to do. You can show a human being an image of a random uh, a spot of light moving around and he will tell you the story of it. He'll be like, well, it was over there. It was trying to get me and over here. I was safe because it's in our, our yeah. DNA to hide and flee from things. Um, but we've done that with our faith as well. We've turned it into afterlife insurance and we've turned it into a solution. We've turned it into a can of fucking Coke. It's a can of Coke. And you give the same sermon every week. You and I, I'm sorry, we pat ourselves on the back. We go, we'll tour when we have something to say. <laughs> I'm not just going to go up every week and, 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 and do the bass hit crowd pleaser. And I'm also not going to get deep into Nehemiah and bore everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, Maybe just take a beat and uh, live your life. <laughs> Fuck off. Okay, so now for people who aren't familiar with your story, you start out, you're in Chicago. Yeah. You're in Chicago working at a restaurant. You're doing jokes on the back of receipts. Yeah. I used to print out the receipt. A very fond memory of me to write jokes on that nice, nice receipt paper. And then you start doing stand You're doing little stand-up bits. I had been doing stand-up for uh, a little while. Then you start touring. Then I started doing uh, bigger horrible. and bigger. I, well, yeah, I guess broad strokes. I was a waiter, and for for three years I was a waiter. And at night I would do either an open mic or I'd, I'd drive somewhere locally, and I would MC, which is one of those paradoxes of being a comedian. Is the hardest job hosting. We we give it to Conan, the first guy, Johnny Carson, is what you get when you're the beginner. So it's a little bit of a trial by fire. They throw you in the deep end. And you go up, and this is part of my clan, which I don't identify with, but I observe. It's my clan's way of uh, weed from chaffing. It's it's the scary cave. It's the learning to hunt. Um, you weed out who's serious. Yeah, you're right gonna, away. you're going to quit real fast when you see how comedy doesn't want you, doesn't need you, and isn't even going to be very. It's not going to be a womb. It's gonna, it's going to kick you in, in the balls over and over. But what was inside of you that you kept going? Why were you different? Why are you here now, successful, world-renowned comic? <laughs> I'm not even renowned in all 50 states. <laughs> I don't know about world-renowned. But what was the... What, what set... You want me to talk about I mean, my when I was starting out, comedy upstairs? And it was so hard. Yeah. And I wanted to reclaim this art form, the sermon, as guerrilla theater performed. Like, I wanted to take this thing where it's never been before. Yeah. And I looked around... First off, pastors just weren't talking like that. But then I just looked around at how many people trying to do what I was doing. The few were there. I was like, no one, this is only a few people are ever going to keep doing this. Yeah. Because it's hard. Right. How did Similar. you 
What was inside of you that told you to keep going? Well, psycholo- there's two different uh, questions here happening for me. One is the psychological need, which again, I liken it to the radioactive spider bite. It's this unpleasant thing, but it turns you into Spider-Man. Is that I had a family where I didn't necessarily feel heard, specifically from my father. And I love my dad very much. That's the pop-up that I'm going to offer for you. But I, I felt like I was vying for my father's attention while basking in my mother's. And, and this is the formula for an artist. So Bono said that. You, you need a, a loving mother who's taken from you and an and a abusive or distant negative force father. And Bono says, if you're lucky like me, you had both. Uh, my, mother, my mother wasn't taken from me, but I did have this reinforcement of you're the greatest thing in the world. Everything you do is magic. I want to bronze your poops. You're amazing. Then I had a dad who was working a lot. He, it's, not, he, it's not like he didn't give me the time of day, but I sure wanted to show the big man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, want, I wanted his love and his attention. And then I wanted to be listened to. I was in this family that was kind of uh, obsessed with itself. So individuality wasn't a, uh, a huge thing to come by. So I, I, it's, it makes absolute psychological sense that I would get on stage under lights with a microphone and yell at people and insist that they listen to me and give me an indication that they're listening to and appreciating everything that I'm saying every three to six seconds. That, with a laugh, salves me. And it means it's peace. My parents fought a lot. Uh, and I learned very quickly. And, and I was doughy. I was just going to say, like a lot of heavy kids, I was a heavy kid. And I had a family that was fighting a lot. So I had both of them. You got you to gotta create the peace. I learned mm. very quickly, if I put my face in the mashed potatoes, people would laugh. That horrible, incomparable tension. Kids don't know why parents are fighting. They're Greek gods. They're throwing lightning bolts. They're scary. You really think things are going to die. You think the house is going to fall down because of yelling. Looking back, I could have been like, if I could go back and talk to myself, I'd be like, it's just yelling. It's okay. But nobody explained healthy anger. Right. It's like in college when you realize that your parents are humans. That's right. Oh, my word. They're just figuring it out. I still have yeah. uh, dreams of like conquering my parents in this very, because of that kind of thing. It's a strange thing to share. I've never talked about that. But anyway, uh, they, they're fighting so much. So I, I realize you can create peace. My mom always called me a peacemaker. Again, trying to shift me towards the church. She's like, you're the peacemaker. You're the peacemaker. You're the peacemaker. And I realized the funnier I was, the more engaging I was, the more listening I did, the more connecting I did. Uh, And then I really learned empathy. I had to learn how to speak dad. I learned how to speak mom. And I learned how to speak my brother. And nobody spoke anybody else's language. You know what I'm saying? Mom didn't speak dad. Dad certainly didn't speak mom. And nobody spoke John. So I'm over here Rosetta Stone Pete connecting. My dad will say, my, let's fake example, my brother would be like, oh, green beans again? Let's just say that, it's that. But I know he means green beans again. I love green beans. This is a fake example. But he just talks that way. But my mom gets mad. What do you mean green beans again? And it's fake, but then I have to interject and be like, he loves green beans. He loves green beans. Don't you love green beans? Yeah, I love green beans. That's why I said green beans again. He sounded sarcastic. Well, what was it? And then you, you stopped the fight. So stand-ups go into the situation where it's very clear. Every three seconds you get confirmation that you are being clear, you're being heard, everybody's okay, everybody's safe. These are things I want. I tell the audience, you're safe. Everything's fine. I'm not going to attack you. This is a good place. Some comedians are, you know, kind of mean. It's not like that. It's going to be a happy place for an hour. Um, when, unless, unless I'm in a terrible mood and people are drunk and idiots, like what happened in West Palm Beach. But anyway, 
Then or that lady when I saw you. Yep. Uh, that one time, and she was heckling. Well, well somebody, somebody. I said I was talking about how I wear a Lululemon jacket, and I said because. And this girl goes because you, she goes. Ugh, you're gay. Ugh, you're gay. That's one of the most angry I've ever seen you. It was in the first three minutes of my set, and I and I looked at her. You were in the audience. You were in the front, and I I said it's 2015. How dare you? And I, I said like. What did I say? It was something harder. You, yeah, you. I were told her correct. to fuck herself or something. I was like, like, get right. You need to get low. <laughs> you might as well say you need to get right with the Lord, basically. But I, <laughs> but it came out as fuck yourself. That happened recently. I, I did a show and I had to close with uh, fuck yourself to a huge portion of the audience that was just there to get blackout drunk, and they were yelling at me and they were they ruined the show. I, and I said, never. I said thank you to everyone who listened. It's been great to everyone else. Never go to a comedy show again. You ruined it for everyone. Fuck yourself. And I put the mic down and Kanye West played. My girlfriend pounced on me. (laughs) Valerie started fornicating with me immediately. (laughs) Because it was very arousing. But anyway, so there there are times where I have to become this other thing. It goes back to our idea of our identity being the underwater sandcastle. But your... And I think for a lot of people who have followed you, the thing about your stand-up is there's always like an arc, a trajectory light. Yeah, I noticed that you, it's such a wonderful thing, and I'm so proud of myself. There you go, there's some self-love. I'm proud of myself that I didn't intend on that. And when you pointed it out, there is a redemption where there's a point where there's some sort of don't be fake happy, but really love yourself. Sometimes I have bits where I say love yourself. I just say love yourself. It's, sometimes it's very overt. Sometimes it's a little more subtle. But I think a number of people, when I talk to people who are huge fans of yours, you're actually giving people something. I'm trying to because I'm so desperate. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I need things. I need strategies. I need touchstones. I need reminders. I need new perspectives and new outlooks on the universe. So when I get on stage and talk about things, I'm trying to speak from my higher self. It's very, it's deconstruction versus construction. Yes. It's very easy to say, oh, fuck Starbucks, they're overpriced burnt coffee. Or just be like, I don't have a pro coffee bit, but I, I, you know, if I did. And I do think, you know, for a little inside baseball for people in, into comedy, I do think, I know for a fact that's what made me stand out. Because that's what Conan told me, and that's what other you know people like him have told me, is that uh, I'm I'm not I, uh, what uh, there's nobody. It's not funny at anyone's expense necessarily. Correct, unless it's my own. Like I do love talking about how dumb I am. So here I am, clearly not dumb. Do you understand? I'm clearly not dumb, but I am dumb. I am. It's a it's a, I, I forget who said it, but it's this great quote: "Everybody's stupid, just in a different subject." I'm dumb in this huge, wonderful area that I know nothing about. And I'm smart over here. So here's an alpha. It's, it, just think about a, like a bunch of chimps. Here's an alpha. Silverback gets on stage. He's under the lights. He's louder than everybody. He's, in, he's the intellectual alpha. He's manipulating everyone into having a, a, a knee-jerk response. I'm changing their body chemistry. I am in charge. You know, I'm landing the plane. It's an empowered position. And I like to spend that time reminding them that I'm stupid, that I'm afraid, that I'm weak, that I'm petty, if I'm going to make fun of myself in, this, in, a, in, in an edifying way. So they go, hey, I'm afraid too. It's okay. It's like people coming up to you after the sermon. Hey, I, I'm sometimes ashamed of, 
of things I've searched for on pornography as well. Or I'm concerned about how I treat the homeless as well. Or I feel like an asshole when people cut me off and I'm cruel as well. So there's this beautiful unifying vibration. Everybody's like, yes. Mm -hmm. He's simultaneously, now I'm really being a dick. I'm really up my own ass right now. But here's a guy who's simultaneously being alpha and zeta. You know what I mean? He's, he's strong and weak at the same time. He's vulnerable. Sometimes it's not rewarded. West Palm Beach, Irvine. Sometimes it is. Um, but the bit that did it was my magic bit, um, which is, the, I think, the only recorded bit in history where a comedian defended magic. And I didn't write it to do that. You know what I mean? Again, to compliment myself. I wasn't like, I'm going to write a bit about how much I love magic. I just happen to love magic. I love show business. I love theatrics. And I think magic is just this weird carnival-esque kind of subculture of show business, this strange redheaded stepchild and, and you know, bow ties and canes. And it's like, it's like a, a thing from another time. It's still occurring and people are reinventing it. And it's, and, and it's like miracle stories. It, it, it helps us go, it helps us get out of our boxes. There actually is something kind of spiritual going on. Why, why did Moses and, and the Pharaoh's magicians have to like kind of duel each other? It's because here's reality and here are these people saying, oh, guess what? That's not reality because I have a dove in my hand. You know what I mean? So I do this bit about how so many people go. It's a deconstruction bit. They go, well, it's not a magic person. There's no magic. Good for you. I actually say this on stage. I go, you're going to get a big erection tonight. You're going to really be able to give your girlfriend the business because you knew that the 17-year-old on stage isn't really a wizard. Big man. Big man. <laughs> How about put your gun in its holster and just for five minutes watch a magic trick and just pretend that wonder is, is right in front of you. Pretend you're a child again and enjoy it. So I do this bit and I, I think it got me a talk show. Because Conan said the same compliment that people always gave him was that he doesn't do comedy against anyone. He's inviting you. It's an inclusive sort of, again, vibration. My ex-father-in-law said, I don't know where he got it. I actually would love to see him, just to ask him where he got this. He says, when you do comedy, don't try to make them laugh. Invite them to laugh at what you're laughing at. Maybe the cornerstone of my entire career. Maybe the reason I needed to get married. There's millions of reasons I needed to be married. But what a, what a gem. And that's what I did. So there's this positivity kind of seeping through. It's an undercurrent. A lot of people, I think, would be like, he's talking about jerking off. He's talking about pornography. He's talking about drugs. He's talking about, he's swearing a lot. This isn't a, this isn't a spiritual person. You're lost, dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> Do we wrap it up right there? I don't, I don't even think, I don't think we can add anything. Oh. Rob, I love you so much. We'll end with that. I, I love you so much. Your work has been invaluable to me. Your friendship has been even oh, more so. And I say the same thing. I want to say to everyone listening, Rob's, Life is his message. You just put it in books sometimes. It's unbelievable to watch. It's unbelievable to watch. Any, it's, I'm not sniffing around your ethics. I'm watching and delighting in your heart and your spirit. And I'm going to cry. Oh my goodness, I'm getting like all choked up too. <laughs> because it's the real thing. You know when you see it. And, and I, I hadn't seen it before. And I've said it before, you, you re-saved me. 
Mm. You were a big part of that. Now we're going to cry. Oh, I'm going to stop now because I'm crying. 